and welcome to another episode of the new season of Executive Learning Rewired, the podcast that talks about some of the biggest challenges faced by HR and learning development professionals. I'm your host, Tiago Kivi, and today our topic is leadership, performance, productivity, change management. To explore some of the topics I have here with me at the FT Studios, a very special guest, Andrew Molson. Andrew. Hi there. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for being here. Andrew, my understanding is that you are the CEO of a global consultancy and a change management practice as well called AWA, Advanced Workplace Associate. And I also saw that you write extensively on the topics of leadership productivity, workplace culture, you know, hybrid work, and some of these really big trends that we are facing right now, right? Which is really precisely the topic of this conversation today. But um, before we get into it, I just really want to have a bit of understanding about who you are, right? So can you tell our listeners where you're from, where did you grow up, a little bit of your childhood, uh, and how you how you got to where you are today yeah Yeah. so i uh i i was um born in manchester okay not manchester on say manchester in the north of england and um and i uh i I grew up there and um i went to a secondary school i didn't make it to to grammar school which was uh what we did in in those days at 11 they would sort of push you in either the academic direction or the practical direction i went in the practical direction uh, and surprise, surprise, I ended up um, ultimately getting some reasonable A-levels and then going on to do a degree in a topic called applied statistics. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, which I was blessed with because that was back in sort of the 1980s. And actually, I did a, a joint year of computer science um, and um, statistics. And actually, as the world has developed over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, those the understandings that I gained back then have been pretty useful, actually. Um, so that's kind of, and I was, you know, very much into numbers. I, I, I chose to do statistics because it seemed to me the only subject that um, was helped me, if you like, describe the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, describing the world in numbers, understanding how the world worked in numbers. And I guess for the first 20 Six or seven years of my life, I thought the world could be run on pure logic. Right. And I, then I moved. I worked in the um, in the IT industry, and uh, having worked in quality management, logistics, and and some others, I got into strategic marketing, which was very much oh, okay. about you know trying to imagine the future uh, and then orientate your resources to be able to be successful in that future. And um, and I suddenly discovered that I could ima- I had a good imagine I could see things that quite often others couldn't see. Yeah. Um, and I went on from there, uh, you know, to get involved in a program on intelligent buildings, and that brought me into the the world of um, work in the workplace because I'd seen this all now from the standpoint of being a general manager, uh, in a you know in a in a thrusting industry. And I now kind of got involved in the whole area of work and the yeah. workplace. And, and, and of course, and it was fascinating because, you know, I think most leaders really don't have a full appreciation of what the, uh, the wrapper is in which they actually, uh, mm. their organizations work. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a strange 
strange career. I know something about uh, quite a lot about leadership. I know quite mm. a bit about technology. Mm. Uh, I learned a lot about the physical workplace and um, and you know in amongst all that managing behavioral change. So mm. a, a weird cocktail of experiences, but it happens to be quite useful right now. I heard you saying statistics, IT, marketing, yeah. leadership, change management, you know, so it's a big, um, yeah. it's a big array of, uh, well, <laughs> of I, ex, I, ex, expertise. Right? One thing that I did do very consciously was to go, I, I knew at a pretty early age that I wanted to run a business of some kind. And mm. I and I also saw that there were quite a lot of leaders who ended up at the top end of organizations who'd come through a, a very specific silo. So they come from marketing or sales or finance. And I, and I saw some of those guys and I thought, they're not really, they don't have the breadth mm. to be able to do this job properly. And I, at an early stage in my career, I decided I was going to not go up a particular um, track and I was going to actually go and get experiences across a wide range of disciplines that would mm. ultimately give me the, the skills and capability to run an organization. Okay. I didn't realize it was going to be a consulting organization. Mm. Mm. Um, at the time I was, uh, I, I had my eyes on running uh, a, a company called ICL, which was ultimately bought by Fujitsu, but that was oh, okay. another, interesting. That's another, another story for another day. Yeah, okay. Indeed. But you've been running your business Pretty much since the early 90s, right? Yeah, we, we set the business up in 1992. Exactly. And I guess as a CEO, you probably seen a lot of change. Huge. You know, uh, yeah. you know, from, you know, in those days, we didn't even have the internet. Well, I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't as popular as it was today. You know, it wasn't as used massively. You <laughs> had financial crisis. You had, you know, pandemic, you know, and, and, and all of it that comes with this. So yeah. what do you take away from all of it? And um, yeah. What is the biggest lesson of your professional life so far? Well, I think that, you know, I think during that period, um, a lot of people say, oh, you can't predict the future. And uh, there are some things in the future you can't predict, but there are some things you absolutely can predict. And the, the one that you can predict is a thing, uh, is, is the sort of unrelenting evolution of technology. And mm. um, if you, uh, there's a thing that you, you may have heard of called Moore's Law, um, which was originally put forward by a guy called Gordon Moore, who was one of the founders of Intel, the American chip manufacturer. And Moore's Law basically says that every 18 months, you can get pretty much double the computing power for the same money. Mm -hmm. so, so in 18 months' time, I should be able to buy a computer, which is pretty much double the power of the computer I can buy today, but for the same money that I would pay for today. Mm -hmm. And that trend has been uh, in play for 25, 30 years at least. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it seems like it's, it still has no um, boundaries. It's still moving in that direction. So you can be pretty sure the technology is going to get cheaper and mm -hmm. more powerful. And as a consequence of that, technology will be used in a way that enables people to access mm. it much more easily. Because one of the things that was very interesting, if you make the parallels between where we are today and where we were back in 1992, um, in order to be a computer literate and be able to use a computer back then, you had to know how to use a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And a lot that freaked a lot of senior leaders out who would often give their secretaries or PAs 
the role of, you know, talking to the computer. Yet they would get their emails and they would print them off and they would scribble their responses onto the email mm. and they would give them back to the secretary and she would then type it in because she yeah. had the, the typing skills. Now, of course, today we can talk to computers. We can, you know, computers will recognize our faces um, yeah. and all of that. And, and they're much, much easier. I mean, you take an iPhone or a, or an Android phone, you don't have to be a rocket science computer computer scientist to be able to drive those technologies. No. You, The human being can do it. And I think as we go through the next sort of 10 years, you know, there's another wave of this coming, I think, which is a bit, you know, hooked up to the, the metaverse and all the things that Mark Zuckerberg has been talking about. But fundamentally, yeah. the, the computer becomes easier to use um, it's not really a computer anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a device that helps you do stuff, but it's got a computer in it. Yeah, and yeah. that interface is just going to get easier and easier and easier. Mm -hmm. Bandwidth is going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Mm. Uh, and so, what you'll be able to do, you know, what there's a lot of the things that you can do now, particularly with things like voice recognition, mm -hmm. where the technology was around 15, 20 years ago, but the computing power wasn't cheap enough to enable you to. Use it. You, yeah. I mean, you, the stuff you can do on your computer, on your phone now, you know that a lot of the techniques around voice recognition and stuff were were developed in their early mm. stages back fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah, it was the fact that there wasn't you didn't have enough computing power on your own personal device to make you happen. that would uh, enable you to happen. So you can see yeah. that trend just sort of heading off into mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, quite, mm -hmm. quite exciting. In fact, I, you know, I I kind of wish I was born about twenty or thirty years. <laughs> later because i think the next 20 or 30 years are going to be really really a lot of fun well you you've seen a lot you know i guess you know it's uh, it's good um now just going a little bit deeper into the work that you do with your clients how how do you normally work with your clients what kind of challenges do they mm. normally present to you and mm. crucially has have those challenges really changed in the last couple of years since covid well, I think, you know, the, uh, most of the work we have done since we, you know, we set the business up in 1992 to help organizations transition from old models of the world uh, to new models of the world. So, you know, old models, people coming to an office, presence, uh, command and control, all those sorts of basic ideas. Uh, and new idea, the new world, I think, is more about mobility, virtuality. Uh, it's about operating across cross-border. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, maybe replacing to some degree command and control with more networked yeah. organizational models, all of those sorts of things. And, um, of course, you know, in the since we started the business, most of the work we've been we've done has been triggered by some sort of an event. And in, in the mm. in the in the past, in the UK, particularly the work that we've been doing has been triggered by a, a new building or something. So mm. where people wanted to go, wanted to transition to a new model of working, triggered by the fact they were, you know, they were going to a new building, often triggered by the fact they wanted to reduce the amount of space. Mm. The, you still have to affect things around culture and technology and management skills and all those yeah. sorts of things. But that was the trigger. Since we've been, um, since we've, since the beginning of the pandemic, most of the work we've been doing has been triggered by a desire to shift to a hybrid model of working. And that has mostly been sponsored by the chief exec, COO or, or HR director. And with a very strong 
you know, how do we, what, what is, what is hybrid working for us? Yeah. How could it work for us? What benefits could it bring? What risks does it have associated with it? And how can we make the transition? Mm. And, <clears throat> and that, the simple idea of hybrid working sounds like <clears throat> we just turn up in the office a bit less than we used to. Thing is, when you start to move to a more um, a model where people are not physically together mm. so much, more working more asynchronously, um, there are a lot of things that change. So you have to start thinking about, for instance, your management skills. Mm. Um, you know, leaders you know come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. But what we know, I think, from the research, is that in order to lead teams that are operating in a more virtualized model, more asynchronously, mm. you need a different style of leadership. You, you need less supervision less kind of looking over people's shoulders mm. and more setting goals, set, being clear about the outcomes you're looking for for people, mm. helping them, supporting them, connecting them with the right, you know, people within the organization to make things happen. Mm. So it's more of an enabling capability. And what we see, I think, what we saw in the old world was perhaps some leaders who were not so, not such great leaders, maybe they got away with stuff because they were all in the same physical space and, you know, you could kind of get away with it. When we're working in this more dispersed model, more distributed model, it, it's really difficult. Mm. And you will see that during the pandemic, some people have said that their leaders have done a great job. They've stayed connected to them. They've supported them. They've guided them, whatever. You'll hear other people saying, never heard, of, never heard from the leader. Really? Really didn't really get, you know. So, you know, as we move forward, it's pretty important that the leaders, the best, you know, the leaders in the organization mm. step up to be as good as the best leaders. Right. More, right. more supportive, more considerate, more coaching, more mentoring, more guiding, um, giving oxygen to work. Really. Yeah, yeah. And that's very interesting because I uh, just wanted to check, like, I mean, just your opinion or if you have any data on this, mm. how do you calibrate uh, how much time you spend talking to people because I'm always you know I have a team as well and I'm always conscious um, mm. of the time that I demand from them just to talk to me sometimes mm. you know because I know it can be a challenge as well you know people already have I don't know five six zoom calls every day yeah and then oh my boss wants to talk to me again you know my manager wants to talk to me again uh, I already talked to him yesterday, you know, or it, so it can be a little bit tricky. Yeah. Sometimes I found myself in that situation that how much is too much, how much is ideal, how much, you know, any thoughts on that? Well, I think, <laughs> I think if you're, if you're able to be clear with people about what you want in, in relation to their outcomes, yeah. um, I think you can actually step back a little bit mm. and let them get on with it. And, mm. and, and, you know, Check in once in a while, mm. see how things are going, but uh, but but be there, you know, sort of try and you know head off maybe some of the things they might struggle with, or try and get them to 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 open up and mm -hmm. tell you. I mean, the other thing I think that is quite interesting is the more you, in the old world, mm. you know, when we were telling people what to do and they needed to just basically, you know, do what they were invited to do, they didn't really learn. You know, I think what, what I've found certainly in running our business is that the more you let people mm. um, have control of the reins, you know, I've been running our business for like 30 years nearly. 
So I've done everything pretty much that everybody in the organization has done. And, I, and you know, there are some things I think I'm pretty good at, and there are some things I know I'm not, I'm not very good at. But, um, but what I've learned is that the more you give people oxygen, the more space you give people, the more empowerment you give them. Yeah, they drop a few clangers here and there, but they don't learn if they don't make some mistakes. Mm -hmm. And as long as those mistakes are not sort of mission critical, then I think that it's just part of the learning process. Uh, and and of course it's difficult, particularly as a as a, as a founder of a business. I mean, you particularly things that are right in front of the client. Mm -hmm. You 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 really don't want your reputation besmirched by yeah. uh, by by a failure. But on the other hand, you know you you can't always. And and generally speaking, you don't get that because actually you know if you've if you've done it right, when you get people on the stage in front of the client and and things are going on they you know they they learn how to cope with it they learn how to deal with it so i know a lot of this is just being being able to be secure in your own boots and to stand back a little bit and get clear about what you want the outcome to be i think one of the things i've learned i think is that nine tenths of the issue is is actually making sure that the person who you've got doing you know working with you has got the same picture in their head uh, about what is required um as you have and and often words are are often not a very good medium yeah you know, we sort of we have to go through a kind of testing process did you hear the same as i thought i said mm, okay is the outcome something that you, you know can you tell me what the outcome is and then i can check it links back to my own okay my own uh, my own thoughts about what that was or maybe it's a different outcome when we discussed it you know that maybe the, the individual's got more thoughts that make the outcome better now that's that's very interesting because yeah uh, i'm sure a lot of leaders listening they might have that that sort of challenge you know sometimes they had a conversation people have different views right of yeah. of what the ideal product should look like or the ideal mm. I don't know website page or whatever it is you know uh it's um it could be different so i guess yeah the the talk back talk back to me what you heard actually yeah. is quite an interesting technique well i think the thing is you know um you know we've all got an awful lot of stuff you know trundling around in our brains at any one point in time at yeah. the moment uh, yeah. and particularly you know, over the last couple of years, people have had, you know, anxiety and worries about their home mm. situations. They may have had, you know, objectives, different relationships with people, all sorts of As human beings, we've got, you know, an enormous number of things flowing through our brains at any one moment. And I think often as, as leaders, we think we tell somebody, uh, you know, I've told them what we, what I want them to do. Yeah, yeah. But the question is, did they hear? And did they interpret? Uh, did they interpret what you said in the same way that you yeah, yeah. said it? And I think this is where quite often dialogue is such a power is a really important thing. Yes. And I think very often, you know, we we haven't fully recognised the power of dialogue. Mm. Dialogue ensures that what I say you've got, and when you've got it, maybe you've played something back to me, which yeah. makes me think, hang on, there's another way of thinking yeah. about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I think that's really, that that dialogue is really important. Absolutely. And yeah. the the other thing I think I mean one of the things that we've learned through our research um, with the, an organisation in Amsterdam called the Centre for Evidence Based Management is that if you were operating in a virtual model, 
there are really six factors that make um you know a really big difference but the number one uh, factor is social cohesion okay. so social cohesion i often take in a very practical sense to be about friendliness and uh, friendliness not just within the team but across teams and also up and down the organization so if i if i feel friendly if we are friends then there's a lot of stuff that we'll do for each other that mm. we won't do if we're not friends so yeah, if definitely. I'm if I'm your friend, I will be open. Uh, I will be generous with my knowledge. I will support you when you're having a yeah. tough time. Mm. If I don't think you're you're my friend, and human brains work this out pretty quickly, then I would I retract. Mm -hmm. So if we're friends, I'm also prepared to tell you much more about the truth okay. about my world yeah. than I would if we're not friends. And you might be more willing to 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 go the extra mile as well, right? For that person, if that person needs an urgent favor or something, you'd be more willing to drop what you yeah. what you're doing to support. So I guess yeah, that that's makes the kind sense. of yeah. But also though, you know, if 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 we're friends, uh, and you're more likely to tell me the truth about a situation. As opposed Absolutely. to, yeah. you know, quite often I think in the past when people have come to work, they've often put a sort of a cloak of work, workness on, right, which, yeah. in, which has been needed in order to present them as effective, yeah, and and you know, individuals, uh, and and often I think you know we now talk about bringing your whole self to to work, but yeah. I think in the past maybe people haven't felt that they could do that because mm -hmm. maybe the whole self isn't what is going to get them promoted. So, you know, in increasingly, I think we, we need to create these, these friendly conditions mm -hmm. that enable people to contribute, uh, to challenge, mm -hmm. to, uh, to be honest, uh, and, and to, you know, to, to, to make the best contribution that they, they can. And I, increasingly as we, as we look at the factors that make a difference in the virtual, yeah, yeah, it's vital that those things that that of of those six I mean, things yeah. that I mentioned that that is really the most important. Okay, and which what are the other ones then? So the the, the top factor is, um, as I say, social cohesion. The second one is perceived supervisory support. So a perception that my supervisor, my leader, whatever it is, is there for me is helping me. It goes back to the transformational leadership model that we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. uh, the third one is um, uh, is is about um, communication uh, and information sharing. So a desire, to, so in other words, this is where people, instead of hoarding information to make themselves more powerful, which has tended to be the case in quite a lot of organizations, this is, a, this is culturally about sharing your knowledge, sharing your information and having an infrastructure for doing that. The, the the next factor is vision and goal clarity. So do I understand the vision for the organization? Do I understand the vision for my team? Do I understand how my goals relate to those things? And the reason why that is so important, not just because we're trying to focus our energy, hmm. you know, on, the, on a particular outcome, but it's also because, you know, the research is pretty clear on this. If, if I feel as connected to the vision for the organization, then I'm likely to give you more. I give you more of my discretionary energy. I give you mm -hmm. more of my knowledge, my, my, my ideas. So vision and goal clarity is another factor that plays a big part in this. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one, which the, the Americans call um, external outreach, which is fundamentally about taking your knowledge 
and exposing it to others and exposing it to the outside world. So if, for instance, if you're an HR professional, then the likelihood is you're probably going to go to HR conferences. You're probably going to read HR uh, journals and listen to podcasts like this, I guess. Mm -hmm. But what we're saying is, yeah, that's important. But actually what's more important is you go somewhere that isn't uh, like that, you to kind of avoid groupthink. Okay. So exposing your brain to other stuff, which ordinarily yeah. you might not. So yeah. that's kind of an important. And and then, of course, underpinning all this is is trust, um, mm. a, a belief that um, the organisation, my peers, are looking out for me, that I can trust the information that they provide, mm. that there is honesty around the whole thing, and and really these six factors, if you put them all together, what they're all about doing is creating what we'll call a psychologically safe environment right? in which people are focused on the things that are going to make a real difference to the organization. And, um, you know, because in the end, if you think about an organization, I mean, it's a community of connected brains. And so these factors kind of help you to, to do that. Now, we know, um, we, we know that these factors have a, a huge part to play in knowledge-based organizations. Um, but when we start working virtually, you can probably imagine trust is one of those things that can dilute. Yeah. Misunderstandings can suddenly arise. Uh, we thought you were going to be available for this meeting and you weren't. And then we start the, we thinking, well, where was, where was this person? What were they doing? And then we get a, a report from them that isn't quite as good as we thought is, is there something going on here? Is this, you know, is this guy out playing golf or mm. so, you know, so first of all, um, you know, trust is really an important one. And I think actually one of the most important things, I think, as we move towards a virtualized model, particularly, is that people need to take responsibility for the, the perception of trustworthiness that other people have of them, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have a trust index, you know, you're, right. um, you're you know, how trusted are you? As an individual in the organisation, and you, and because you, and you have to manage that, thing. and you have to manage mm. the relationships you have with other. You have to deliver on your promises. Yeah, you manage your promises. Yeah, your expectations, in a <clears throat> in a way that maybe before you didn't. So mm. all of these things are kind of you know. So that when we move to a virtualized model is important. Um, the other one I think that comes under a lot of pressure is um, is information sharing. Mm because it doesn't happen quite so naturally as it might have done if we were in a kind of, um, you know, sort of more of a sporadic yeah. action mode in the office. But those, those, you know, those are the factors that, you know, the research shows us that, you know, make a huge difference. And those are the things we're doing a lot of training with leaders mm -hmm. right now to, you know, to help them to discover those factors mm -hmm. in the context of their own work so they can manage virtual teams better into the long the long run. Yeah, okay. There was a lot in there, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> very, you know, a lot of lot of very interesting points, you know. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things. You mentioned first the um, psychological safety, mm -hmm. which is important. And I think early on as well, you mentioned about anxiety, you know, how that can <clears throat> sometimes blur your views mm. of how to do a particular piece of work mm. or you know how you understand a particular project or a particular task or everything so mental health of mm. course is is 
a big issue and affecting a lot of people recently. And um, I'm not sure if it has affected more, but we are certainly more aware of it and a lot more, you know, underst understanding of of, um, of these issues. You know, I think, you know, even if you look back, you know, two years ago, perhaps like mental health in the workplace was still a little bit of a taboo. Now I think people are talking more openly about it. Um, so I think you've done some work around yeah. how the brain works, you know, how, how we can get the best, yeah. how we can get the brain the best possible shape. So can you tell me a little bit about that, your views on this? And sure. um, Well, I mean, it goes back again to the research we've been doing yeah. over the, you know, since about 2015, I think, with okay. the Center for Evidence-Based Management. So we started off with this piece of research, which was all about knowledge worker productivity, which mm -hmm. brought forward these six factors right. that we talked about before. And we've recently run that in the context of, um, you know, working virtually. Mm -hmm. But we also did another piece of research, which was um, all about the factors that influence the performance of the brain. Yeah, the cognitive uh, performance, right? Yeah, that's right. And and that was interesting because that brought forward basically uh, four things that you need to be doing every day to make sure your brain is in good shape. So. Tell me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is exercise. Uh, okay. Exercise, um, nutrition, particularly breakfast. Um, okay. And then uh, on top of that, we have... Um, Stay with me. Um, gosh, what is oh hydration? Hydration and sleep. And it's quite interesting, actually. If you, do you want me to do that again, it's fine. We can cut that part. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, and what's interesting? So, so those are things that the individual has control over. So, exercise, nutrition, hydration, and sleep. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, when you, so those are the individual things that we, we're all relatively in control of. Mm. And then if you look at the other things, the other factors that have a bearing upon cognitive performance are the environment in which you put people right. to work. So, so you know, temperature, um, noise levels, light levels, and all those sorts of things. And it started to get us thinking about, well, if that's what the research is telling us. Why? Why is this? What? What? What is? What's going on here? Mm. And and so we started to do a lot of research around how the brain worked, mm. and we started talk, doing a lot of reading and talking to uh, some of the leading um, uh, neuroscientists around mm. the world. Mm. Mm. And it, it the brain basically is is something like, you know, one hundred and forty billion. Uh, neurons mm. packed into a relatively small piece of space in your head, and these neurons kind of connect in in a kind of um, in a way that forms patterns. And so, you know, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, every movement you make, uh, you know, you, is being done through this monster computer in your on your head. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that this thing on your head is really the thing you think with, and that's all it does. But in fact, it doesn't. It, it's uh, thinking is only one part of what it does. You know, the rest of it is actually managing your physiology. Mm. So if you think about it, you know, what you've got an immune system. Well, how how does that get managed? You know, you've got a reproductive system. Um, you've got a system managing your uh, your cardiovascular system. 
So all of these things, they don't happen just by by luck. These are all managed by your brain. Mm. And actually over the last few years, we've discovered that actually there are neurons in different parts of your mm. anatomy. Oh, wow. So I, I guess that's a long way of saying, you know, when we when we buy an employee, we're really buying a, a, a massive biological computer on legs, fundamentally. And and so if we are going to get that computer to work in the most effective way, yeah, we first of all need to make sure it's doing all the right things to make it the best it can be. And then we need to put it into an environment where we uh we we give it the best chance of being effective right so if you think about i mean it sounds ever so simple and very theoretical of course isn't it but if we take this in a very practical sense so if you're going to do all the things i mentioned before mm. so what we know is you need at least eight uh, well just just about eight hours sleep right and you need that to be good quality sleep i guess the parents on the listening here are gonna be <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. This is the point. I yeah. think this is the point. I think we can say these are the things you need to do, but life yeah. gets in the way. Yeah. But I think what what increasingly we're of the view is that, you know, organizations should be encouraging their people to understand the things they should be doing to make them more effective when they walk in, mm. you know, either the office door or their office door at home mm. in the morning. So mm. you think about just trying to get eight hours sleep. First of all, we've got domestic issues, kids dependence you know getting up in the night and so on so you've got to think carefully about um you know for instance caffeine drinks i mean if you take a caffeine drink late afternoon it still has a quite a significant impact upon your ability to your alertness yeah late into the evening so mm -hmm. one piece of advice is if you're going to do caffeine do it in the morning mm -hmm. alcohol plays a part in this as well um and then, so you, you take those those simple things about how do I get a good night's sleep? And I've had people say, there's no way I can do that. Yeah. But I'm saying to you, well, okay, on that basis then, your turn, I'm paying you £50,000 a year or something. I'm really paying £50,000 a year for the best you, not the you that is, you know, struggling because you're not sleeping. So you have some responsibility to take in this, it mm. seems to me. Mm. So, you know, you, you have sleep is is quite then exercise how do i get exercise in mm. a day again in the world in the world of hybrid actually quite a lot of people have found it a bit easier to get exercise because they've been able to schedule a little bit of time during the day mm. but if you're getting up in the you know 6 30 in the morning you've got to be on a train to get into this you know major city you're working during the day maybe you're hard at it Mm. five o'clock you just want to get home you're exhausted it's you're it's not in, it's yeah. not so easy you know so it's a question of managing all these things yeah yeah you mentioned something interesting like you know the kind of expectation that an employer might have mm. you know or, you know or, mm. on, on the on, on the mental ability or the mental performance the cognitive performance of their mm. employee but of course in the last couple of years we've seen a lot of pressure on people and a lot of companies they have reduced their staff they downsized and of course work continued going and keeping yeah. busy and perhaps in many cases we've seen you know reports of workloads being massive people working three hours you know working three o'clock in the morning yeah. um so do you think employers as well have a role in in that right to ensure that they're able to 
first to resource their their business properly yeah and second you know ensuring that they're not really kind of giving too much to, to the person they're, they're managing resources properly yeah yeah i mean I, I i do i absolutely do i think that the um one of the big deal issues for the next you know in the next decade is going to be the managers management of intellectual workload mm. and um you know because we seem to operate in a world at the moment where human beings seem to have a finite an infinite um capacity um you know, I, I mentioned before, you know, the the brain is, you know, it's a whacking big mm. biological computer, really, in a mm. very, very more sophisticated than you could ever imagine. Mm. But it but it seems to me that it does have a finite capacity. And that capacity isn't just eaten into by things. It's eaten into by tasks that you perform, your physiology and the, the demands it places. But it's also um, domestic, you know, emotional things. Yeah. And and during the pandemic, we've seen lots of that. You know, I, in our own business, I know people who've been really struggling. Um, you know, they've had relatives that have have sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. They've had kids that have been struggling. Um, there's been all sorts mm-hmm. of pressure. And so I think we have to recognise that this this biological computer called the brain is handling all of these things. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just it doesn't sort of switch off at five o'clock. Yeah. Um, you know. So so I think that's kind of a really important uh, idea but the other thing is because we the the demands that we have on our brains are different depending upon the nature of the tasks that we perform and our competence in 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 performing them mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and at the moment i don't really think we have a, a even a language to talk about the capacity um and the demands on capacity so as an example example a leader um asking one of the team to do a, a particular job mm. rarely will say well what else have you got in your um list of things to do how much of your bandwidth how much bandwidth do you think you've got left yeah now if i if i give you a task that you're very familiar with it, it will consume a lot less yeah bandwidth yeah if i give you something that you've never done before uh, it's going to consume an awful lot more bandwidth. So th- again, there's a. There, it seems to me there needs to be a new language here, mm. and it, there needs to be a recognition that human beings have got a finite capacity. Mm. Because mm. it's a bit like asking Lionel Messi to play every game flat out throughout the whole season. Yes, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. You you you'd use Lionel Messi. You'd recognise that Lionel Messi didn't. You know. You wanted him to to be used in the right way, mm-hmm. uh, at the right time, but you'd recognise that he had a fair, you know a limited amount of capacity, mm-hmm. and I think we've got to start thinking about um, people in the world of knowledge work mm-hmm. a bit like that, really. Mm-hmm. Have you come across anybody who who gets this right? You know this this approach right? You know checking the team, seeing how the workload is. Um, how much bandwidth they have? I think you see. I think you see the emergence of this a bit in the IT, right? With with software engineers, mm. because you know you using um, you know agile development techniques, you're kind of 
making things happen very quick and then you're readjusting and you're understanding what the tasks are that you know it's 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 you know they're on the board and you can see so i think there are some models that are beginning to emerge but i think in the generality i think most most leaders and most organizations don't think like this you know they they just keep asking people to do more I mean, when an organization decides it's going to downsize, it's, that's largely driven from the finance director's pen. Mm. There is very little recognition that says, okay, look, if we, if we do this, then that's going to place more demand here. Mm. It's going to, you know, it just happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. take, take 10 million out of your cost base. All right. Okay. We'll take two mm. from here, two from there, two from there. So fine. And then we've got to work it out. And, and I, I think that's quite a dangerous way to go mm. forward, mm. really. Mm. Mm. And of course, you've been helping a lot of your clients when it comes to hybrid mm. work. Yeah. Right. You, you mentioned earlier, you know, it's all about trust, mm. all about driving purpose. Uh, what's your philosophy behind it? You know, what do you think it would work? You know, what what do you think it works? What do you think it doesn't work? You, you know, um, what have you seen recently from your clients? You know, just your perspective on this. Well, I think, you know, hybrid working sounds like a really simple idea. Um, but actually, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, I think it, it changes everything. Mm. Um, it really does. And I think what... We're at a moment where we'll look back, I think, and we'll see this as a pretty profound moment. Mm. Because I think pretty well every, everything in the world up until this moment in time has been wired to presence, command, and control. Those have been the kind of predominant, um, you know, models that have existed for, you know, since the beginning of time. Mm. But we now have the opportunity to do things in different places at different times. And we're beginning to realize, actually, through the pandemic, that we actually can trust people to do stuff. They don't have to have somebody looking over their shoulder all the time. Of course, time. yeah, yeah. So I think this is a pretty profound, pr pretty profound moment um, for for the world. Uh, and you know, this is what's causing a lot of tension inside organizations, because there are people in those organizations who whose mental model of the world is based upon the old world. Yeah, and yet. If you look at the responses for most people in most organizations, they want to move to a more virtualized model. Mm -hmm. They want to come into an office less. And they've learned, I think, over the last sort of two years that actually there's an enormous amount of the stuff that they can do where they don't really need to be in a central container. Mm -hmm. So all of those things actually make a, a huge difference, really. So they affect the, the degree to which, you know, the, the leadership skills that you have on board and that you develop mm -hmm. they uh they relate to your it infrastructure the you know all those factors i mentioned before those those six factors need to be worked on by organizations at the mm -hmm. top level mm -hmm. um they need less space probably physical space and they need a different layout for the workplace so you know a lot of our work in you know basically falls into two categories one is a sort of discovery process that gets some data on the table and helps to really clarify for the leaders what the art of the possible might be mm. and helps them to engage in a, a you know a meaningful evidence-based conversation as opposed to a, an opinion-based conversation mm. and then you know we we often at the end of our work we talk about creating a case for change or a proposition which is basically the the what the why the how the when and the the who mm. of the change 
the transition process, if you like. And then the second part of our work is actually helping organizations make it happen. It could be leadership development, could be training, could be supporting an evolution in their IT strategy, could be redesigning their space. Mm-hmm. You know, could be thinking about how the leaders operate as a as a community, for mm-hmm. instance. So, you know, those are the sort of things that we're doing. But I think at the moment there's still quite a lot of tension in the senior echelons of organizations between people who really don't want the world to change much. They want to go back to how it was like two years ago mm. and others who see this as a great moment to, you know, catapult the organization forward to a more modern um, model. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, those tensions are working themselves out yeah. gradually. I mean, you can see this in the, some of the, uh, you know, some big or very well-known organizations who have, you know, initially put forward proposals for how their hybrid working would operate. We we want you in the office three days a week, mm. only to find out that most people are really not too enamored by that. Yeah. And so the process of, you know, these leadership communities having to think about this in a different way. The game has just changed. I mean, I think the, the, the supply and demand mm. Mm. Uh, of skills in the market is changing that too. You can mm. no longer dominate the discussion about how the world will be mm. if you're a, a mm. large corporation. Mm. Mm. What is your opinion? Like, uh, you know, because you mentioned some cases of uh, organizations, how they're dealing with it. Yeah. What is your personal thoughts on this? Because I, I'll tell you mine. Yeah. Right. The way I see it, it's people should be allowed to work whatever works for them. Yeah. Right. However works for them. In my case, for example, I have three kids, mm-hmm. baby in the house, my wife in the house, a little one always at home. I don't have a lot of space. Mm. It's very tricky. I find it very tricky to yeah. work from home. Yeah. You know, it's just I don't get the space, the the, yeah. the the silence that I need, which is something that you have that in your cognitive uh, yeah, <laughs> research yeah. as well. Absolutely. Right? The concentration. I struggle with that, you know. Yeah. Um so I come a lot to the office, yeah. you know, personally, you know, I'm pretty much a lot here most yeah. of the time. Yeah. But my team, nobody does, yeah. you know, and nobody else. And I think it's fine. It's absolutely fine for them to, yeah. you know, if they have a good setup, you know, great for them. And I, I would stay at home as well. Mm. But what what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I think you can, I mean, I think you can, everybody can have what they want. Yeah. Really. I mean, I, I think the thing is what, what we're generally trying to do with organizations is, is square off three different things. One is the personal aspirations of the individual. Second is the, the performance of the team. And the third is how that all links to what the business is trying to do. Yeah. And, um, and you need to work on all three of those things at the same time. Now, of course, everybody's personal situation is different. Absolutely. And so, yeah. and personality plays its part in this as well. So I think, you know, our advice to organizations and, and, and clients, we're doing this with a number of organizations, is to say, look, there's an opportunity here for you to have your leaders yeah. have a conversation with their teams about their aspirations for work and their personal circumstances and provided you can you know come to an agreement with them about what they're doing which works for the team then you know we're kind of in a good place now of course the issue is that some leaders are very good at that yeah and some leaders are not so good at it so we kind of got to get all of our leaders into an informed state yeah they know about how you know all those six factors i was talking about before 
and also they they get comfortable with having those rather more possibly challenging conversations now of course this all has to be done within a framework because there's no point in in you you as a leader agreeing a certain a set of arrangements with your team yeah and me set it, agreeing a certain set of arrangements with my team which are dominated by my personal opinions right and my biases mm. so in order to make this happen we have to create a kind of an overall framework mm. within which all of these negotiations can happen okay and so we've you know we we've, we've developed a process we we call the seven steps but it's it's fundamentally it's the seven steps that get you from the idea of hybrid to right. a fully trained up community of leaders to a bunch of people who have got new agreements. Okay, can you tell us about the seven steps? Well, the first the first step is is to agree a set of principles with a senior leadership level. So the sort of principles I'm talking about are, you know, the sort of mm. things you were just saying before. Everybody has the right to work wherever they want to, mm. conditionally on the environment in which they operate or yeah. their role for instance so we that's number stake in the ground another one could be when we're in the office um you know we use things as we need them and we make them available for other people when we don't need them for instance that these these mm. principles can be different depending on the organization that you you're working with so you get these principles and then the next step really is to take those principles and your culture and and your values and to translate those into what we call a core working together agreement which is mm. fairly nitty-gritty things the things you want to have consistently happen around your organization and the guardrails that you want to set in place for your leaders mm. to have those negotiations so at its simplest level it might be that we decide when we're on calls when we're when we're on online calls we always have video on mm. right uh, because yeah, you know, we we work with some clients who, frankly, you don't know whether they're, you know, whether well, they're doing their emails or or what. So I think it's respectful, and it and it of course, it's giving people more information. You're not getting the same information you would if you were in the same physical space, but it's giving you, you know, it's giving you good better information than a telephone call. Yeah. So 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 some things that are consistent. Something you know we we might say that as a very bare minimum. We we want you teams need to be together at least one day every so often maybe, so we have these mm. this thing called a core working together agreement. We then go into training all of the leaders around these six factors, and we've gamified all of that to make it interesting uh, and um, and fun, um, and then we teach them about the work core working together agreement and what a working together agreement might need to have within it. And they then go into discussions with their own teams and they work out what those new ways of working might be, what model they might go for. So for instance, some teams might say, look, we're perfectly fine working away the vast majority of the time. Um, but once in a while we'll come in just for, you know, a team meeting or something, or you'll have some people who say, no, we need to be together in the office a couple of times, a couple of days a week or a month. And when we're in, we need to be all in together mm. as opposed to just coming in on different days. So you need to get clear on which model you're going for. Mm. And then you need to set up the agreement between the team as to how we're going to work together. Mm. When mm. am I going to be available on duty? When am I not? When 
What's the expectation about the, um, you know, the response to emails? Where do we put our files? What's the expectation around me sharing my stuff so that when I'm not around, you can access it? Now, there are lots of little nitty gritty. How do we yeah. how do we maintain social connectivity? How do we how do we bring new people into our team? You know, all of those sorts of things need to be worked out. And um, you know, once you've got to that point, you then have a bit of clarity. And the next step really is, is to try it out and monitor it yeah. and keep an eye on what's happening and evolve it. Because I don't think as we move forward into the new world, we're going to get it right first time. I think yeah. there's a need to recognize and also the world will be changing around us as well so those are the sort of you know those those are the sort of steps that mm. we're um okay. we're working with and, and uh, yeah okay very very interesting um now because we're running out of time <laughs> uh i just wanted just to a few closing questions really you know how first how do you personally apply your own <laughs> philosophies your own techniques your experience mm. in your in your own company, in your life? Mm. Well, I mean, one of the things that, um, so personally, yeah, um, I I am manic now about getting uh, eight hours sleep. I never okay. I never <laughs> used to be. I mean, there's some great great books around. There's one great book that um, by a guy called Matthew Walker. If he's, if you if you're interested in it, but it, you know, sleep is a massive deal, and we don't pay enough respect to it. Seems to me so. So I work really hard to get a good night's sleep and I try and do the things that you need to do in order to get to that point. Like, you know, keeping caffeine drinks to the morning, um, not consuming, you know, too much alcohol, um, you know, all those sorts of things. I try and exercise. I don't exercise as much as I should, but I try and do some exercise every day. Um, I hydrate much more consciously than I ever used to. Um, you you really should be taking a, a, a liter or two of water in or or drinks each day, and nutrition. I never used to eat breakfast, and you know, in the past, and I I know mm. I absolutely mm. do now. So mm. so those are the sorts of things that I I kind of the other thing from a business standpoint, what I'm my belief strong belief is that if you can create a community of people who have a friendliness, yeah, um, then you can conquer the world basically. Because okay. you have a bunch of people who can be honest with. I grew up in Manchester, right? Up in the north of England. In the north of England, people are brutal. In you know, everybody says, "Oh, they're nice <laughs> people," and they all talk and they're much more chatty. But they're brutal in the north about what sense? Like... Well, it, it, telling you the truth, right? Honest, honest. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and so I've kind of grew up in a culture like that, and I've got some great friends, but we, you know, we we pretty clear with each other about <laughs> things are. and i think that the more i've looked at um organizations the more i look at our organization what i'm you know trying all the time to do is to create a community of people who mm. share share a belief in what we're doing mm. but who are able to be friendly with each other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean we're all you know we hide you know things from each other or we just over nice it means that we create the conditions under which we can be honest mm -hmm. and people aren't feeling as though they're being you know um i don't know abused or anything mm -hmm. and because it seems to me that if you want to try and create innovation and you want to kind of continue to move the world on you have to be prepared to receive feedback mm -hmm. me personally included you have to be capable of 
listening and learning and moving mm. on. And I think you can really only do that in an environment where people feel like they are. Mm. And this mm. goes back to mm. what I was talking about before about psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. absolutely. So th those would be the things that I, um, uh, you know, would, would say. I think it probably... Probably the only other one is, you know, vision and goal clarity is, uh, is, is a really big important thing as well. And I don't think companies pay enough attention to that. We went through a process where we got everybody in the company involved in, in determining what our vision was. Um, and that was a really interesting experience because you assume that everybody sees the same world that you do, but actually they don't. But getting people in involved in a process that helps you to create a vision also helps them to understand you know how they it, it helps them in a sense to to connect with that vision and so i think your engagement um with the vision and with the purpose of the organization starts to become greater yeah 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 absolutely uh there's a very interesting um chapter just about this on the in the seven habits right uh by stephen covey mm -hmm. uh very interesting you know the, it gives a, a very interesting example of how this big hotel chain involved everyone from you know the the housekeepers to to the managers of the hotel to actually yeah. develop that yeah that vision and um yeah you know the results were phenomenal yeah. i think well i don't think it's a, i think the other thing is you know quite often i don't think it's a one-time gig either no you know, you, because you've got to recognize that you've got people leaving and arriving in the organization so you almost kind of need to go through that process once in a little while yes to yeah. to re refine and redirect yeah well, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um final piece of advice to companies who are still going through a lot of change still don't know how to find their way around hybrid work, HR people especially. What what would you say to them? Well, I think it's um, it's a tough gig because the job is mostly being given to HR to sort this out, and um, and <laughs> yeah. HR of course have some power in the in the in the you know in the organisation. But you know, leader generally line leaders tend to have a bit more. So my advice would be first thing to do. Get some data, mm. uh, get get some evidence, get some, you know, shift the conversation from being opinion based to at least data influenced. I think that would be the first thing. I think the second thing is just recognize that these, you know, these differences of opinion are actually perfectly um, reasonable. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned, I think, or certainly my thesis is that when people have been working in an organization for a long period of time, these neural connections that I talked about earlier on become quite formed and influence their mental model of the world. Mm. So if you've had somebody, you've got a chief exec who's been operating in a very similar model for probably, I don't know, 25 years, don't be surprised if that individual's picture of the world is a bit different to quite a lot of other people's. And I think we should be sympathetic um, to those guys because they're not—they're not stupid. They've been very successful. And what we do know about the human brain is that its primary goal is to keep us safe. So once we found safety, it clings to it. Right. Yeah. So, and this is true. You know, the more—the more you rise up the organization, the more power you think you have. The more, you know, you're mm. potentially open to to threat. So I think 
you know, that's that's kind of an important thing because it, it's very it can be very damaging when um, you know, people think, oh, they're just being, you know, dogmatic or stubborn or stupid. Mm. It's not the case. It's just I think people, you know, people develop these these patterns in their brains and then they they, they look at the world through that lens and mm. they and they can't see beyond it. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. So Andrew, we have to finish here. Unfortunately, uh, we could have gone. You know, I have a lot more questions to ask. I didn't go through <laughs> it's been them, great but fun. Uh, Thank you. yeah, it's been good. Um, so uh, one final question is for the people who are listening: What is the uh, best way to connect with you? Um, either through LinkedIn, you can find me yeah. there, uh, or um, um, by um, email: amorson at advanced-workplace.com. Um, if you put Andrew Mawson into Google, you might find me, but there is also another gentleman called Andrew Mawson in the UK called Lord Andrew Mawson. Okay, uh, that's not you yet. That's yet. not me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, and um, if you enjoy this podcast, there's a lot more coming in the next few months, you know, uh, so please subscribe, share with your colleagues and leave us a review if you have the time. Um, and if you'd like to know more about Headspring and our executive learning solutions, please visit our website as well, headspringexecutive.com. Uh, we have a lot of resources for learning development professionals, HR, uh, leadership development, everything, you know, from podcasts to research to uh, articles, blogs and everything. So please... Have a look. And uh, for the time being, this has been me, Thiago Kivi, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.